Alit Smit arrived home to the most devastating scene anyone could imagine. Seven people were brutally murdered in his home on Lismore Farm in Kestal on Friday morning last week. Among the victims were his wife, Ceci Smit, and her 17-year-old son, Rudy Binter. The other five victims were female employees on the farm. Police spokesperson Brigadier Motsansi Makele described the scene as a bloodbath. Three bodies were found in one room, while the others were found in separate rooms. Rudy's body was found alone upstairs. In just under 24 hours, police managed to track down two main suspects who appeared in the Kestel Magistrates Court on Monday. I'm Amy Gibbings, a journalist for News 24's multimedia department, and you're listening to The Story. This week we'll talk to News 24 reporter Ivan Piruis, who was in Kestel on Monday to cover the court case of the accused. He spoke to grieving family members of the victims and angry community members. We'll then hear from Ian Cameron, Director of Civil Rights MPO Action Society, who has followed farm attacks closely across the country over the years. You're listening to The Story. It's a podcast by News24. We'll speak to journalists and experts about the week's biggest story. This is what we saw, heard and uncovered this week. We're now joined by News24 reporter Ivan Piuas. Ivan, thank you so much for joining us. I know you've had a very busy week in Kestel. Just give us a feeling, a sense of what it was like on that Monday when the suspects appeared in the court. I know that the community were all there up in arms and obviously very, very angry. Yeah, Amy, as as you briefly explained, the, the community was very, very angry about about the murders of the seven people on the on the local farm. And some of them even called for the accused to be handed over uh, to them so that they can deal with them. When I was there on Monday, I, I spoke to a few community members and they described it as as, as very cruel and they feel um, very disheartened and um, sad that this has happened to people that they actually know um, because it's such a small community. Um, and that's why they was they were really hit hard by by this incident, um, and some even went as far as saying that they have no sympathy for for the accused. Um, I'll I'll just go into a quote where someone said, "They must just give them to us. They must feel what those victims felt." So that that was quite powerful for me. Um, and some went further saying that they must rot in jail. They shouldn't even be granted bail and if they were to be granted bail they would definitely deal with them what is crime like in kestal is this something very unusual do they have quite a high crime rate or has it really taken everybody by surprise i think the murders took everybody by surprise but uh, when I spoke to some of the community members there, there was a lady who said she's she's lived there all her life and they were able to to play in the streets until 11, 12 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night, whatever the case might be. But now she says now that she has children of her own, they can't do that. They're not allowed to do that because there's a lot of, you know, these petty crimes and burglaries, theft, robberies going around in town. So they said, yeah, this it, the murder is very unusual, but there is an element of crime in the town. It sounds like Ceci was such an important part of the community. It's, why was she murdered? Why her? Of, 
such a valuable part of the community. What are people's thoughts around that? Do they have any idea who these men are and what might have motivated them to do what they did? Yeah, because it's like I said, even the township where these men lived, when I went to one of the accused, um, Kamo Hello, when I went to his home where he lived with his grandmother, um, the neighbors told me that they were shocked because this is a guy who, I believe it's his, his brother or his relative, Larato Selepe. Um, they used to help people in the community build shacks. Uh, the neighbor said, these are the two guys that helped me build my shack. And now they are accused of murdering seven people. So they were, they were very shocked by this. Um, and uh, I believe Larato uh, Selepe lived in, in, in Kokwa. And then he would always just visit every now and then. And then he would disappear again. That's what, that's what I got from the neighbors. Um, yeah, but the people in the township were also very shocked by this. And to go back to Ceci, Ceci was, they described Ceci as a person who looked out for others. When she had job opportunities at the farms, she would call her close friends or close relatives and allow them to work on the farm because these women were the sole breadwinners in their families. They provided for their families. They they are leaving behind small babies. They are leaving behind grandchildren. So Ceci, Ceci was a very important part in, in, in that community because she, like I said, she 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 really looked out for for people in the township and she wanted to to do good and allow people to improve their lives. They they said she was also really close to God and she she played a role in churches and, and in the public. And they were really shocked because she had no like feud with anyone. She was a mother to the Castle community. That's that's how they described her. So this wonderful integral part of the community is so brutally murdered along with the people that work for her. And then the suspects don't seem to have much of a, a record of being violent or being criminals at the least within the community. Was there any suspicions that drugs might have been involved or anything else? Yeah, that's what the, some of the community members suspect, that they were drug addicts. But it also came out of court that they had a run-in with the law before. They had uh, previous convictions and they served uh, some time in jail for that. Ivan, just tell us a, a bit about what actually happened at court, in the court on Monday. It was their first appearance on, on, on Monday. So they were actually waiting, or they, they both applied for legal aid to represent them. So legal aid was, was only available on Wednesday. And therefore, they booked postponed the matter until Wednesday to have legal aid present. But during the, that appearance, the prosecutor, Ntai Letaba, he told the court that Camoelo and Larato wanted the case to be resolved as speedily as possible, and they intended on pleading guilty uh, to the crimes. So they they faced 12 charges, and these, these charges include murder, robbery, with aggravating circumstances, housebreaking, with intent to steal and theft, rape and unlawful possession of a firearm. And it was quite interesting to see when the rape charge was, was read in, was read out in court. One of the men, Montankisi, he lowered his head and he wept. 
and then he used his hoodie to to wipe those tears. Um, he just shook his head in disbelief, and, and that stood out for me. That because he mentioned something when they asked him about, do they want the proceedings to to be recorded and filmed? And they both objected, but. While Montankisi objected, he, he, he softly said, however, I am guilty, however, in Sutu. But then it was translated as well by the court translator where he said, he basically objected to, to proceedings being recorded, I am guilty, however. And we all heard that. So that, that was an interesting element that also stood out in court. The state believed that they had a, had a really strong case against the two men. And then on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday was basically a brief postponement. Uh, so legal aid was present and the lawyer told the court that both men will abandon their bail applications and that therefore they postponed the matter for further investigation. I suppose it is somewhat comforting to know that these men are showing some elements of remorse at least. But tell me about your conversations with the victims. You wrote a beautiful piece on Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday morning, and it just spoke about, you know, one of the gentlemen who's now lost his wife can't even bear to tell their youngest daughter. And every time she asks where her mother is, he says she's in Gauteng, she's buying you things, because it just, it's he's too broken to even have to tell his youngest daughter, which I just thought was so devastating. What about um, Ceci's husband, Alait? So I didn't get an opportunity to speak to him, but the rest of the, the families and the victims, um, you mentioned some someone like Vusi, who now has to tell his daughter or their daughter that their mother is their mother is no more. And then there was also uh, a other relative uh, from Sesi, uh, Vunue, who told me that yesterday, just yesterday on Tuesday, they went to the mortuary to identify the bodies, and then she said it was such a heartbreaking scene to see seven bodies laying next to each other in that mortuary, and uh, they were not allowed, she said, to 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 look at Rudy, the, the teenager, 17-year-old boy, Rudy, because he was tortured, he was burned with boiling water, and she said that hit her very hard because out of everyone that was the one that hit her yesterday um, extremely because she was not able to see him for one last time. Thank you so much for your time, Ivan, and for your hard work on the ground. That was Ivan Piyus, reporter at News24. We're now talking to Ian Cameron, director of Civil Rights MPO Action Society. Thank you for joining us today, Ian. It's often felt by a portion of South Africans that farm murders as a phenomenon are a racially motivated attack. But in this instance, we've seen that this is an exception to that, where the people murdered in this farm attack were people of color. It wasn't white folk. What is your comment on this? Yeah. Yeah. So um, in my opinion, I think it would be very irresponsible of anyone to generalize and say that farm attacks and farm murders are purely racial or uh, never racial for that matter or political or never political. So it's important that each individual case is evaluated separately in the 
previous uh, pr- probably about 10 years that I worked with PharmaTax, uh, uh, the majority of them didn't seem racially motivated. Uh, there were some of the cases where victims that survived told us what had been said to them by the attackers, which sometimes were racial slurs or political slurs. But in the majority of cases, we couldn't get that feedback. I think it's also important to mention that during the time that I worked with farm attacks, approximately 30% of attacks or victims of attacks were farm workers and, and not just the farmer and his or her family. So, so it's important that I think the right context is created. I think very often people simplify the farm murder issue, uh, you know, for, for ideological purposes or political purposes, but it isn't, it isn't quite that simple. Exactly. I think that's why I bring this up because, you know, you have situations where Donald Trump is, you know, expressing his support for the white farmers being attacked in South Africa. I think it is it is used as an ideological tool and it is used to racially fuel um, or, or it's used to fuel racial tension. So as you've highlighted, I think it's very important to realize that it's, it's not necessarily the case. And uh, in South Africa, crime is happening to anyone. If anything, it could be black and brown bodies in poorer communities who are experiencing crime far worse than anyone else. Yeah, I, I, again, I think it's a it's the type of crime that needs to be seen in a unique way as we do with something like gender-based violence. So I work a lot with gender-based violence at the moment and I think it needs a unique approach and it certainly needs special attention from, from government because I think women and children are far more vulnerable in, in the current state of affairs in South Africa. But like farm attacks, for example, what's important to say about them is that when a farmer, it's, it's not to say that that farmer is, is worth more than someone else. But what makes it unique is that when a farmer is killed, it often means that, uh, you know, up to 10, even more, hundreds of people could be left jobless immediately after that. So the ripple effect on the local community is quite extreme. And we also see from the time that I worked with it that um, the trauma that workers experience after farmers would be murdered or attacked is also quite severe. So you would find that, for example, on a dairy farm, the workers and the farmer alike wouldn't want to get up at two in the morning anymore to go and milk the cows. So, so yeah, it, again, it's something that I think needs a, a specialized approach, as with several other types of crimes, whether it's, you know, copper cable theft or cash and transit heists. Each of these kinds of crimes that I've mentioned now occur with generally the same kind of modus operandi. And, um, and farm attacks do often go along with severe, severe violence. And I think Something that I experience from it is that they often or sometimes go along with, with quite severe torture that lasts or endures for longer periods of time. So with the Kestel uh, murders, you know, the same, someone was burned, raped, etc. And And often with farm attacks, I remember one scene that I attended, uh, the farmer had been tortured for nine hours and it was impossible for neighbors or anyone to hear them. Whereas in an urban area, we, we see murders happening and obviously it's, it's still tragic, but it doesn't always go along with the same, you know, you know, long period type of torture. That brings me to my next question, or you preempted my next question already. Why 
do they tend to be so violent? And what was interesting for me is chatting to one of our reporters who went into the township where these two suspects came from. You know, their neighbor couldn't believe that they had murdered someone. They they didn't have a violent track record. They were very helpful in the community. So to hear that kind of feedback was also really surprising to me because the murders themselves were just so violent. Yeah, it's um, it's it's something that, that, that becomes very complex because some of the cases that I've worked on where we did arrest suspects, I had the same experience where suspects even apologized upon arrest for what they did. Very often these suspects are under the influence of drugs and alcohol they also, uh, in most of the cases, plan their, their deeds quite well, at least from the cases that I've worked on. Uh, they spend days, if not weeks, planning on when and how they're going to do the attack. We often hear that attackers also quarrel with each other during the incident. So one would say, let's boil water in the kettle to burn someone. Another would say, but that's not why we came here. I often experience some of these crimes to become passion crimes. Um, and I'm not sure if passion crime is the right description, but what, what often happens, it, it seems that the attack occurs quite peacefully, if I can describe it that way, but then it escalates as things go along. Um, it's almost as though suddenly the attacker realizes that he or she is in control. Um, they know that they are virtually untraceable. Sometimes they are in the country illegally. Uh, sometimes it's a mixed gang of, of, of suspects. Very often we arrested suspects that were a mixture of South Africans, Zimbabweans and, and Mozambicans together, depending on the region that you work in. And it was literally as though they psych each other up while the attack is going along. And obviously, if they uh, received or, or if they uh, received any kind of uh, pushback from the victims, it, it might, you know, worsen what they would do. I think the majority of cases aren't labor-related and aren't domestic dispute-related. I think the misconception obviously or often is, is made, especially on social media, you'll see people saying that. But in the majority of cases, uh, the attackers come from the outside. In fact, I've actually worked on a few cases where the attackers would torture workers to get information about the farmer um, and his or her family. The Kestal case is a unique case. I've never worked on a case with that amount of victims that were murdered at once. Um, the way that it was committed makes it feel very personal. You know, that I, I can't help but think that there's some kind of personal link between the, the accused and the victims. Uh, especially because, you know, it's, it's a lot of people to kill and to kill a teenager um, along with the, the rape that occurred uh, and, and the burning, all of those things indicate some kind of a, I don't know, some kind of an aggression or retaliation or, or something. So it, it feels personal, but this is just my personal opinion. And it also, you know, kind of, yeah, it, it, it's very strange. It's the first time I've had contact with a with a case where that amount of people were killed in one incident. Thank you so much, Ian Cameron, for your valuable insight. That was Ian Cameron, Director of Civil Rights MPO Action Society. That's all we have time for this week. I'm Amy Gibbings, producer and host of The Story. Join us next Saturday for a discussion on the week's biggest story.